They don't come here to attack us because we're rich and we're free. They come and they, and they attack us because we're over there. We don't need to go populist left or populist right. We don't need to embrace neo-Marxism or neo-fascism, these disastrous movements from the 20th century. Turns out the answer is pretty much our Bill of Rights, our story. Embrace freedom. That's the answer. And if the LP has a purpose, it's not to put people to sleep. It's to wake them up. We're here because we love liberty. And we're here because we hate injustice. We are here to save mankind. We are here to fight. Join us, the Libertarian Party, in perhaps the most exciting, grandest endeavor in history, the restoration of American liberty. Ideas spread, they can't stop them. An idea whose time has come cannot be stopped by any army or any government. Hello and welcome to episode 33 of Decentralized Revolution. I'm Aaron and I'm your host. I don't have a lot of Mises Caucus news to report today as we're you know coming off our recently completed and quite successful money bomb in which we got almost 100 new recurring monthly donors to Mises Pack, uh, something you can do yourself at takehumanaction.com. And uh, one fairly big item of good news is about the website. Uh, uh, the LPMC website, the, the main address is lpmisescaucus.com. If you can't remember that, uh, you can also get there uh, with the redirect at takehumanaction.com. Now, I'm, I'm sure a lot of you have noticed the problems we've been having with our website over the last few months, uh, largely because a web developer we hired to revamp things kind of ghosted on us about halfway into the process. And uh, I think for a time, uh, we were even like effectively locked out from being able to control or change anything on the website, even by ourselves. Um, and this mess is also why you've never heard me mention a show notes page for Decentralized Revolution because we simply weren't able to set me up with the capability uh, to do that. The good news is we found a great guy who got the revamp project back on track, made it possible for me to start creating show notes pages for decentralized revolution. Plus we've recently gotten a new logo and branding uh, and made the site uh, quite a bit easier to navigate. I think uh, I'd, I'd love to hear your feedback on all that. Uh, plus, we're now able to accept Bitcoin contributions on the donations page. So lots of improvements, uh, lots of increased functionality, which uh, uh, you'll begin to see uh, put into effect. Uh, so I encourage you to check out the site at lpmesiscaucus.com or takehumanaction.com. Check out that branding and uh, check out the show notes page for this episode of Decentralized Revolution at DecentralizedRevolution.com slash 33. Uh, at some point, I'll try to backfill the pages uh, with some more information about previous episodes. But uh, going forward, we'll have links and information about each guest and episode on the corresponding show notes page at DecentralizedRevolution.com slash whatever the number of the episode is. Now, many of you have heard of or interacted with my guest today as she's been a very successful presence on YouTube and social media for the last few years, doing a great job promoting the ideas of libertarianism, anarcho-capitalism, voluntarism, uh, gun rights, all kinds of things, uh, with memes, videos, and even a couple of music videos. 
Uh, she does it with a sense of humor and kind of a different spin on things that comes from her family background. And that's something she and I have a little bit in common. Part of her background is Chinese. And my wife is also a first generation American whose parents are from Taiwan, which of course is made up mostly of people who are ethnically uh, Chinese. That's a very uh, interesting uh, story, how uh, the modern state of Taiwan was created in response to uh, Mao and, and those things. Um, so we get into a little bit of Asian American culture and food, which I really enjoyed. And I think you'll enjoy my interview with the philosopher. All right, the philosopher, welcome to Decentralized Revolution. Awesome. Thanks for having me, Aaron. <laughs> I, I wanted to thank you for, uh, it was a week ago yesterday, you uh, were kind enough to come on the the Mises Caucus Money Bomb live stream. You're on a, yeah, that was cool t- t- that tell, tell us about that, that live stream and how you, sure. your, your connection to the Mises Caucus and what you guys talked about. Yeah, sure. Um, well, so my connection with the Mises Caucus uh, is more just seeing their uh, rise when they first started out and uh, just being a really big promoter of them because I really appreciate um, them basically trying to bring principles to politics and then specifically the Libertarian Party and more so trying to bring the party back to principles and uh, avoid what happened with you know Gary Johnson and specifically like Bill Weld yeah. bringing this guy you know um so yeah, so that's more just my involvement. Uh, other than that, I, you know, uh, just like what they do, and I just continue to promote them. And uh, the live stream that I was on last uh, time when you guys had the money bomb, uh, which was really cool. You know, um, I didn't catch who run the won the rifle though. Uh, it was a it was a guy named Joshua Holmes from New Hampshire, um, oh, and I cool. think okay. Mike is. If Mike hasn't gotten in touch with him yet, he will be very soon. So. Um, oh, awesome. uh, it wasn't, uh, and awesome. M- Mike and I were joking that if, uh, if one of us or one of our close friends won, we'd have to repick because no one would believe it. If, uh, right. like if Mike's girlfriend won or something like that, so. <laughs> yeah. you'd be like, Oh, it's rigged. Right. Yeah. Um, but that live stream was fun. I got to meet a few of the ladies that are involved in the Mises caucus, um, and uh, I really liked uh, talking to them about unschooling specifically, um, bringing up the topic of self-direct, self-directed education. Um, and it was uh, kind of just more focused on, oh, we also touched on like dating, philosophy, self-knowledge briefly. Um, so it was fun. I really enjoyed it. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I was very busy that day uh, running all the streams from my computer and doing some other stuff. And I, yeah. I, I didn't get to hear much of it. I'd like to go back and uh, 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 listen to it. I always like talking to Whitney uh, Davis. And then, of course, Amy Brown and Jessica Sentman were on there, too. Yeah, I like um, that was my first time. <laughs> yeah. Um, Tell, first of all, uh, this is probably the first question you always get asked, is why do you call yourself the philosopher and why do you spell it wrong? Oh, yeah. 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 (laughs) Oh, yeah. I've gotten that a few times for sure. Um, So I've had the philosopher going for the past four years now. And uh, I say the philosopher because I love pho and I love philosophy. And pho is a uh, Vietnamese beef noodle soup. And... um, I was born and raised with it. My mom's really good at cooking. 
I grew up uh, with a lot of uh, Vietnamese food, delicious food cooked for me every day. And uh, same with my grandma. She was really big into cooking Chinese food too. So it just always has a place in my heart. It's my number one comfort food, that and and goikung, which is spring rolls. Um, so that's why people see pictures of me with pho and goikung like all the time. <laughs> so it really is my diet. And <laughs> not purely, you know, but it is like my treat and I, I love uh, pho. And uh, I love philosophy specifically because um, for me, it really, I think when I discovered and, and just uh, learn that there is such a difference of focusing on truth over falsehood. And there is uh, methodologies that you can employ to uh, discern truth from falsehood. It really, like in my opinion, saved me from the uh, cycle of abuse and violence and emotional manipulation that I was uh, repeating from my past from my childhood and it really saved me from from that and it helped me to see a lot of the dysfunctional uh, habits i had developed you know just to cope with a uh, neglectful uh, and abusive childhood at some times right. so you know i bring up food delicious shelter had that um but there was some neglect and some things and it's just a matter of understanding what those specific things are. And that's what really helped me. So that's why I love philosophy so much and um, really want to promote it and why I started the philosopher. So are you, uh, did you go to school for philosophy or is it all, are you all self-taught? Um, how did, and how did you get into that? Yeah. Um, I didn't go to school in philosophy. I went to school for computer science, actually. Um, I dropped out though after a year or so and just, continued my career as a software engineer. Um, so philosophy is just what things that I've uh, read online. I haven't taken, you know, formal courses or anything. Uh, the way I got into philosophy really was just, um, and anyone who's seen my past interviews of me, uh, I always bring up Stefan Molyneux. Uh, I first discovered Stefan Molyneux just from like a one hour video on, on uh, Bitcoin and um, kind of Reflecting on that always uh, reminds me of the mindset I was in because um, I remember watching it. It was my uh, boyfriend at the time who showed me and I was like, oh my gosh, this guy is just talking on and on. It's so boring. Like, why are we listening to this? And that's the kind of mindset I had where, you know, I didn't really, um, I was more like in my feelings, you know, like I didn't, uh, and I thought of some things, but it was more emotionally driven. So that was the first time I heard of Stefan. But after that, I more so started listening to his call-in shows where he'd have conversations with people uh, about their relationships. And he just, um, it was my first time of hearing someone just have an honest conversation and a Socratic uh, method of, of talking through uh, what someone's feeling, what their specific experiences are of, you know, getting away from the abstractions and the generalizations that people usually say about their childhoods, like, oh, it was fine, or, you know, it was whatever, but more so getting into the specifics of things that were uh, traumatic or painful, um, whatever. So that's how I got into just listening to Stefan Molyneux more. And through those Colin shows, he promotes uh, philosophy. And uh, this idea that, um, you should focus on uh, 
you know, trying to uh, search for the truth. And first and foremost, looking at the truth of yourself. And um, really, you know, every statement you say, just really analyzing that for uh, its validity. And if you have evidence for it, uh, what your reasoning is behind it. Um, so yeah, that's how I got really interested in philosophy. Um, it was first to uh, know myself and understand why I acted the way I did, uh, why I had certain uh, violent impulses, um, things like that. So that's how I got into it. So, and was it Stefan Molyneux that turned you on to libertarianism too? Um, yeah, definitely. Well, him and a mix of people. Um, it, it was more so from my own self-discovery of and uh, just understanding of myself and, and empathy for myself for things that I went through, um, like uh, being sexually molested, um, really uh, internalizing that I did not like having my consent violated. And that was it for me. I just, from there, just realizing that I had value as an individual human being that, you know, the, some of the ideas that I was shamed to have, like, you know, respect your elders blindly, um, were, were wrong. Cause they're just overriding my individual, uh, needs and, and feelings. And so, um, for me, I, I was, I became an anarchist out of, uh, that, um, uh, understanding uh, for myself and, and empathy for myself as a kid and uh, therefore never wanting any other human to experience their consent being violated. Um, so, so yeah, that's what made me think, okay, well, I get that taxation is theft. Uh, I don't like being forced to fund something that I, I don't want to. Um, and uh, from there, it was just exploring the ideas of, okay, how would you have police in a, you know, free, free society, things like that. Um, and then trying to, you know, uh, think through and deprogram myself from the ideas I picked up from public school. Uh, one of which was like police being absolutely necessary to keep things in order and, and keep the peace. Um, I never like knew about guns before ever. Uh, that, that didn't come later. That came rather four years ago. Um, I discovered Stefan Molyneux like nine years ago now and, and started on the, the path to self-knowledge uh, nine years ago. Um, but I didn't get into guns until I met uh, Jack. <laughs> so Jack got me into guns. And now I fucking love guns. Yeah, and yeah. I that helps to uh, defend <laughs> freedom. So Yeah, we're, we're going to uh, talk about that Um uh, later, who were some of the other people um, um, after Molyneux who kind of refined your, uh, you know, your libertarian thinking? Yeah, definitely. Um, I would say uh, Tom Woods was a big one. Uh, he really helped. Uh, Bob Murphy, um, a lot of Jeffrey Tucker's books, um, Adam Kokesh in the beginning, but more so not really helping me to hone in more ideas, but he was one of my influences for sure. Right. Um, so those were the main people that come to mind. 
Okay. Yeah, those are those are good people. Um, and I, I actually don't know a whole lot about Stefan Mall. I know he's kind of controversial these days, and from what I hear, maybe oh, yeah. some. So has he changed, or what's your opinion of where he's at now? Yeah. Well, someone who's like like been following his work for almost a decade. Um, I saw his whole like journey. Um, you know, I. I saw how he first started off uh, just making rooms and uh, making videos with the potato camera in his room and just pacing in a room. And it was just kind of like, he's just thinking, you know, but, um, and it was for, I'd say, how long did that go on? Like, mm, maybe like up until, yeah, up until four years ago, like right before the Trump Hillary, uh, presidential campaigns um that's uh up until that point he was extremely principled uh he didn't get involved in politics he um said things like uh, voting is a slave suggestion box i'm not saying that like that makes him principal i'm just saying like he wasn't interested in obtaining power he was interested in helping people understand themselves and uh internalize philosophy because he really believes and and still does he still does um uh and even throughout the time he started to change up until 2016 when i noticed at least uh like he he still um wants that and thinks that that's the long-term solution that that's the way we get to freedom and peace is by first uh, having that peace within yourself, knowing yourself and, you know, um, internalizing the values of liberty, you know, nonviolence, property rights, uh, individual body rights as well. Uh, but around 2016 is when he started to get more political and covering Trump. And um, uh, also, I noticed some things like in different Colin shows where he'd mention how he thought stop and frisk was okay and was effective. Uh, he started to say things like, uh, we need to have borders. Yeah. Borders are the short, short term. You know, I, I don't really agree with them. I get it. But it's the short term tactics. We got to do it. Like he, he started getting really into, and I think personally, he started feeling really scared. Um, of his mortality and just different things at that time there was like uh, a lot of terrorist attacks uh, back in like 2015 uh, you know the the migrant crisis in Europe was a big thing that was covered I noticed he started covering that a ton and then started making a lot of rationalizations for why you should be able to keep out Mexicans or people from certain countries uh, low IQ countries quote-unquote uh, you know, it's just, it just seemed like so off of his core focus, which he still pushed, which was like, you know, self-knowledge, peaceful parenting as an extension. Um, but it just, you know, wrapped up in his own fear and then, uh, you know, using philosophy to, well, rather sophistry to uh, justify um, uh, positions that were uh, antithetical to his principles. <laughs> like, you know, advocating for violations of property rights, which is what, um, you know, wanting borders is and, and rather immigration control. That's what that is. You're just violating those immigrants rights to move. Uh, and, and you think that you own this property when nobody does this. The state just 
claims like this massive land, but they don't actually like transform the land at all. And they but they forcibly keep people out. And it's just wrong to uh, keep someone from moving across that. Like you, for anyone else, you wouldn't say they own that property. If they just planted a flag, you know, you wouldn't be like, okay, yeah, you're the property owner, but the state can do it. So that's where I started to see him change. Um, but it, it's been really recent, like last week, uh, oh no, two weeks ago, something like that. He was uh, banned from YouTube. Uh, yeah, taken right. off YouTube, taken off Twitter, I think as well. I think he's been, yeah, yeah. off a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And then um, I just followed up. I was like, oh, how he's, how's he been after, you know, being banned from you know, like YouTube? He had uh, almost, I mean, over a million, I think, or maybe almost something like that, uh, subscribers. So he was really huge on YouTube, uh, very influential. But a lot of <laughs> the people he got, I noticed, like since he started covering Trump, he had a subscribership of like a hundred thousand ish. And then it, you know, started to jump uh, just within the span of four years of covering Trump. And most of the people he got were Trump supporters um, that uh, for better, or for worse, you know, some were fine, but a lot of them were just into the cult of personality and were big status. Um, yeah. But anyway, I followed up and he released a video where he just said like, these are my beliefs. And uh, he basically just re-articulated the same things he's been saying, but without any of the other stuff from 2016 and on about, you know, stopping frisk borders, things like that. He didn't mention it. Probably still believes him. I don't know. Can't, I, you know, I can't know. Uh, but it just seemed like he just said, basically, I'm going to be stepping out of politics. <laughs> and I just thought, okay, welcome back, Stefan. Like, just more so, I think it's okay to be involved in politics. I mean, we're talking about the Mises, or no, you know, we're in the Mises caucus. We we want to ch uh, change some things politically. Um, but I think he did it in a way where he uh, let go of his principles, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. so I wanted to ask you about, um, you know, talking about Molyneux and Trump. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, one of the things that we get uh, accused of a lot in the Mises caucus is like, you know, being somehow somewhere along this pipeline from the so-called pipeline from, uh, libertarianism to alt-right ha have you uh, because of your yeah. interest in him have you gotten that label at all and and how do you see how can libertarians keep people from going down that path um i've heard that i mean yeah, i can't really speak to it that much um yeah i don't know i just i think that in particular is just how just noticing how some people who uh, were first like really principled libertarians just started uh, focusing more on like borders and identity politics, you know? Um, but I, I don't think that that's a pipeline, like, like a pipeline implies that it's a uh, systemic thing. I only saw that for some people. I didn't see that for all. Uh, so it's just different. Some I've actually seen some people become more lefty and, and like turn into ANCOMs. <laughs> I've seen some people uh, stay principled and remain voluntarists and help promote the voluntarist movement. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't know. I can't really speak much more. And That's okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> let's talk about why you decided to get involved with a, you know, Facebook page and a YouTube page. What, uh, cause it's, it was hard for me to put myself out there to do this podcast because I, I, 
didn't want to put my name and face out there. And I think we all have a, uh, have a, have a thing that, you know, you know, going public with things is, uh, is, uh, sometimes, you know, uncertain. What, what, when did you get the thought to do it? And, uh, did you have any of those sorts of thoughts and how did you get started? Yeah. Um, well, I definitely had those thoughts because first of all, my, my real name's not the philosopher. <laughs> so, you know, I still hold on to that alias. I still stay anonymous um, because like I said, I'm a software engineer. I'm, I'm still trying to uh, expand my career in, in that world. Um, but I started because I had done a lot of self-work and um, I'd spent like, you know, five years just working on myself and I discovered a lot. I grieved a lot of things and healed a lot of things. Um, I don't think the journey ever ends though. They're still like, you know, every week I'm, I'm learning new things or I'm reminded of, of habits that I have and, you know, just constantly trying to, to work on that and, uh, intervene, you know, and have my, uh, my cognitive uh, abilities intervene and, uh, before my impulses take over, you know, for example, from stress or whatever. Um, but I, I started it from that, just wanting to uh, share my thoughts uh, with the world. And, um, you know, really, because I uh, more so just following um, Stefan's footsteps in a lot of ways, I really, you know, like I said, I mentioned the Colin shows, that was the first thing that really uh, pulled me in to thinking about myself and uh, analyzing my history and how it led to who I am today and the habits I developed. Um, I just want to share that with the world. And, um, so yeah, that's, that's why I started it. And, uh, but I, you know, I, I thought, okay, putting my face out there, um, well, I gotta at least be anonymous. (laughs) So, um, what, uh, what has worked? Um, you've got, I think about a hundred thousand followers on Facebook, if I remember. Mm -hmm. And, 20 some thousand on, on YouTube. Um, what, what works in general and are there any little specific things that, uh, if you want to put out a video that gets a lot of hits, do that, you know? Right. Yeah. Um, I would say current events that definitely helps. Uh, you know, I make a lot of memes. That's how I keep current events happen all the time. Uh, it's, a lot harder, a lot more effort to make a video, produce it, all that. Um, so I found memes to be very effective and uh, helping with the propaganda war that we have in the world. Uh, <laughs> yeah. um, so memes and commenting on current events is a, a really big thing. So that there's that. Um, something else that I haven't, well, I've touched on here and there, like I've made music videos, um, uh, you know, taking pictures, pictures of me eating pho, things like that. Um, those are more like focusing on culture and trying to connect with people on a uh, cultural basis, like shared interest in movies or music um, or food. <laughs> so that's helped to just uh, draw people in, even some normies, honestly, who are just like, oh, okay, that's interesting. Um, you know, I'm just interested in what Asian culture or something, and right. they're curious. Uh, or guns. Oh, guns. That's another thing. Uh, guns was actually, um, you know, it could be just me and how if you look at a lot of uh, people who make content for firearms, 
you know, it's like, okay, maybe they're a retired army officer or something, or, you know, they're strong men. (laughs) So it's really rare to have like this small, petite Asian woman, (laughs) you know, firing guns. But uh, I really love firearms. And I think covering that really helped uh, draw in a lot of people um, who uh, I think the firearms community is particularly special to me because um, you have people, not all, not all people who like firearms are, are principled or at least love liberty. Some are just fuds. Like you'll just have, yeah, and you know, okay, you know. So you'll have some who like love guns, but they're like, I only use a shotgun and I hunt. You don't need anything else. Like right. you don't need ARs like stupid. <laughs> or they're or they're big cop supporters or or whatever. Yeah. Right, right. And I, I have a lot of uh cop supporters actually on um on my <laughs> on my page that follow me too. Uh partially drawn into um, you know, this idea of wanting to defend liberty. Yep. Um you you can be a I mean, I can speak to this because I used to be a big cop supporter. I grew up with that sort of mindset in public school. They really, you know, uh, indoctrinate you to think that uh, the police are here to defend and protect you. Maybe at one point in America, that was the case where they really were just keeping the peace. (laughs) But now, of course, you have the war on drugs. You have so many victimless crime laws that, um, you know, speeding tickets, not wearing a seatbelt, like just uh, having so much coercion in front of you for victimless crimes. And that's what police um, are now. But I get the mindset that people have, and I do get that they're good people who support cops and like part of the thin blue line. And my goal is to try to help them be more principled. (laughs) So it's it's not about hating cops. It's about ending victimless crimes and and focusing on the specific coercive actions of the state and trying to end those. Um, But yeah, so I thought firearms and firearms culture was a big part of drawing in uh, more people to my page. Um, And yeah, and uh, oh, I was just saying that with firearms, you know, I think the community is very special to me uh, because yes, you have a range, you know, the FUDs, I think they're more rare, but most people who like firearms they at least get that each individual should have the right to defend themselves. And that's like a very strong starting point, in my opinion. If you believe that all humans, no matter what color, age, creed, should have the you know sovereign right to defend their bodies, of course, and not fucking die, <laughs> right. you know, defend their lives, um, that's a great starting point to be a libertarian or a voluntarist. Did you see uh, recently there was a, a good uh, gun decision by I think the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals, mm-hmm. and the judge who uh, oh, wrote the, the magazines or yeah, well the the yeah it was about um, there I think there was a law that had banned magazines over ten or something like right. that yeah and or they in Oregon and California. Yeah. yeah 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 so they they struck that down and the judge who wrote the opinion was actually uh, is actually a Korean American who oh, was about he, he he lived in Koreatown in Los Angeles during the riots wow. he was about 16 years old so i have yeah. one thing i i really <laughs> like about uh i see some of it out there with the you know the black lives matter stuff is i see mm-hmm. some um people saying hey minorities more than anybody need to have access to this right because if you really think that minorities are 
you know, oppressed. And I think in a lot of cases they are, in some cases they're not. But if you think they might have problems, don't you want them to have the option to defend themselves? I see. If you go along with that sort of you know, right. leftist mindset, right. right, right, or focus on race, yeah, yeah, right, yeah. Um, so I, I did want to get a, a little bit into your uh, family story, um, sure, and, and talk about some things, some Asian things, and uh, the, <laughs> the big reason why is. Um, I'm also in the libertarian guys with Asian wives, Facebook group. Um, (laughs) my, my wife's parents were born in Taiwan and, uh, I've learned a lot about, um, Asian culture over the last, uh, five years and, uh, enjoy a lot of it. And, and I, I heard you talk about your, your family's story on, on Tom Woods a while ago. Uh, you don't need to go into a whole lot of detail, but, uh, just give people a, a general idea of, the 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 family that that you come from yeah definitely so uh yeah i'll just summarize with like the biggest events that you know stood out to me as like holy shit (laughs) like damn that's where i come from and that's so close to my history like it's not three generations ago hearing a story it's like no that happened to my grandma and my mom and my aunts uh and my uncle so uh what happened and I just know mostly of my my mom's side. Uh, for my my father's side, I don't know that much. I just know for my father, he uh, actually w- uh, fought in. No, no, he. I think it was his dad was. Uh, see, and it's a little fuzzy because I'm a little estranged from my father. Yeah. Hey, some of the things from the childhood. Um, but uh, he said, I think he said either his father died and was killed when he was three and his father was in the Viet Cong. I think that's what it was. And right. when he was three, him and his mom fled and they actually lived in New York. Um, I don't know how long he was there. And one of the things on my bucket list is to ask my dad and like know his story much more. Like I know my mom's side. Um, for my mom's side, uh, my what I know is you know, as far back as I know of is my grandma was born in China and uh, we're Cantonese, we're Cantonese, Chinese, uh, which uh, most of them come from South China. Um, And then that's why you can see a lot of Cantonese people fled to Hong Kong. And that's why Hong Kong is like one of the last uh, places where you have a lot of Cantonese Chinese speakers. Um, So another for for now, right? (laughs) Yeah, I know. Uh, It's scary. Definitely breaks my heart to see that. It does. Um, yeah. And of course, seeing videos of grandmas or grandpas yelling in Chinese, I'm like, oh my God, that reminds me of my grandma. <laughs> you know, it hurts. Um, but uh, yeah, my grandma, uh, from what I know, she was really young when uh, she fled from China. They were, um, they were fleeing a famine, I believe. So that might have been around uh, the time where uh, Mao Zedong took over and they called it the Cultural Revolution. But it's actually, you know, a bunch of uh, kids indoctrinated to become socialists and communists, taking over, stealing people's property and killing them, uh, property owners. So my grandma fled with her parents uh, and she... just remembers like being really young and seeing her uncle die of starvation uh, from the famine. So they fled to Cambodia. Um, Her parents uh, started. So my great, great grandparents um, 
on my mom's side uh, had like different businesses and things like that. Um, at some point, you know, my grandpa went away. <laughs> I don't know why, when, but um, when my mom was born, when she was about three, so, you know, later after my grandma grew up in Cambodia uh, and had some kids, my mom's the youngest, um, they had to flee because the Khmer Rouge took over. And uh, uh, one of the the most fucked up things and, and one of the things that I remember whenever I go to the range really is yeah. um, just the fact that uh, one of my aunts, an aunt I'll never know, uh, she was shot by the Khmer Rouge in the head uh, in front of her uh, husband and her kids. And um, no one was armed. They couldn't fight back and all they could do is run. And I just, you know, I remember that all the time because I'm like, fuck, no, I ain't running anymore. Yeah. Uh, just, you know, for my family, uh, just, you know, for their sacrifice, they ran and, and they just took care of us as, as best as they could, as dysfunctional as they were. Uh, but of course, growing up in such a violent world, um, I can see why they adopted so many dysfunctional tendencies. Um, but what happened was my grandma had to flee on foot. She took her kids, my mom, she was only three. Uh, they fled through the woods of Cambodia. Uh, my great grandma, so my grandma's mom, she was really ill health. She was really old. And she actually just asked to be uh, left behind in a uh, at a tree. That That's what I was told. And it was like, it's a really sad story that she just died in the fucking forest in Cambodia. Yeah. And, um, that all they could do was just run, you know, and their flip flops, their makeshift flip flops before, you know, there's access to clean water in Vietnam and stuff like that. So they, they fled from Cambodia through the forest to Vietnam. And then uh, from there, my grandma did different things. Uh, she had a farm. Uh, she would go to the market and uh, be one of those street vendors. She'd make pho. <laughs> She'd make different noodles. Um, and uh, yeah, so that's what I know. And um, they actually lived in Vietnam throughout through the Vietnam War. So they didn't actually flee in the middle of the Vietnam War, as I, I previously had thought. But uh, my mom had clarified that actually, no, they stayed throughout the whole war and uh, would experience like um, having to uh, go into a hole that they dug up previously whenever they heard planes, yep. uh, just go in the freaking hole and just wait. Um, so there was that, and uh, there were times where uh, there wasn't food because supply chains were disrupted. My mom told me there were years during the war where all she ate was rice and soy sauce. Um, she didn't, you know, there there wasn't much to eat, um, so just rice. And uh, after the war, um, oh, an actually interesting story before that. <laughs> you know, you said don't get into details. It's really hard. <laughs> Go, don't you don't have to get into okay. any detail that you don't want to. In other words, oh, okay, don't worry. I I, I like for me, I, I like talking about it because. Uh, so thanks, thanks for asking. Um, but uh, one one of the crazy stories is uh, uh, for the Viet Cong, they were trying to draft people, draft soldiers, and uh, they wanted every man, any boy available to join the Viet Cong. Uh, by force. <laughs> so, um, and there was a story where uh, the Viet Cong soldiers went to my grandma's house and they're like, Hey, we heard you have a son. And she's like, no, I don't. I just have uh, girls. And so she just like had to lie and like stand her ground. And eventually they left. So that protected my uncle. <laughs> so, um, 
and yeah, anyway, after the war was over, uh, the Viet Cong or the, the, uh, yeah, the Viet Cong and the Vietnamese government actually, uh, started going to the most wealthy Vietnamese people and wanted to confiscate their money, their wealth in order to pay back for the war. Um, so that's when they fled and that's what triggered them to leave because they're like, Oh shit, <laughs> they're coming to take our money. Um, so that's when they fled to, uh, to the United States. And, um, yeah, so that's, that's my whole history of what I know. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> let's, uh, there, there was a, a video, uh, I think it was from a couple of years ago or more, uh, of yours that I, that I liked when I was kind of, uh, researching this and it kind of might give us a way into talking about, um, you know, Asian Americans and, and some of that experience. You did a video, it was called Asian meaning you responds to triggered SJWs. And I think they were, they were all Asian too. And yeah, uh, yeah. For the New York Times. yeah. Tell us about that one. Oh, sure. So that one was enjoyable uh, because specific, that's like a culture thing for me. Cause I grew up on mad TV, mostly uh, different stand-up comedians. I love Dave Chappelle. He's one of my top favorite comedians. Dave Chappelle, um, Dave Chappelle lives in the next town over from me here in Ohio. Oh, really? And I've oh, bumped right, in, yeah. I've, I've bumped into him four or five times and talked to him <laughs> once. So oh, it's, that's uh, awesome. he's great. Yeah. Oh, but did you have a normal conversation with him though? A very, very brief, normal conversation. Um, oh, that's cool. That's yeah, cool. Yeah. You were respectful. Like he, he's like joked about how some people go up to him. They're like, Rick James, bitch. Like, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. Not really conversational. I didn't, I didn't do anything like that. And one time, actually, I was in Yellow Springs, which is the town where he lives in. I was at this bar and uh, oh, wow. he, he and I was kind of standing around and he literally bumped into me. Uh, at the bar, and he was like, "Oh man, sorry," you know. So, um, oh, so yeah, you had a few uh, or a couple bumps. Yeah, it, it's 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 uncanny. I don't go to that town a lot, but like mm -hmm. half the time I go there, I see Dave, and I've actually wow. seen him over closer to where I live too. Um, <laughs> I once what I, one time I was at the gym. And uh, I was on a treadmill and I had had my head down and I looked up and, and Dave was on a, was on a, a weight machine, like 10 feet from me. So that, I think that was the first, my first brush with Chappelle. Oh, wow. That's awesome. So you, you were into mad TV and some of those comedians. Yeah. Basically tons of non politically correct comedians. And that was actually the initial start of the cultural left. So oddly, and, and that was like the pushback against the cultural right, the, the uh, evangelical Christians or uh, really religious Catholics or whatever, who were really against like the rap music, uh, you know, swearing, things like that. Um, and uh, yeah, so that was like really the beginning. Oh, anti-drugs, you know, that's when yeah. the war on drugs started uh, around the 90s, 80s, 90s. Um, so yeah, my I grew up like total anti-PC. I loved People just like being, you know, saying what was on their minds so long as they're not like being mean to each other. Like I didn't care about swearing so long as you're not trying to like destroy someone's uh, feelings and, and make them feel like shit. You know, like there's a, the words are used uh, with a purpose. So I always focus on the purpose. And uh, one of the things that I, um, you know, experienced was a lot of racial stereotypes. Uh, I grew up in schools with 
different like Mexicans, white people, black people. They'd call me chink. They'd call me gook. Uh, I'd say the N word growing up or say wet back beaner. But it was like two friends. And like, okay, first of all, we're in public school and we're a bunch of kids. So <laughs> just a bunch of kids like being dysfunctional. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I didn't really think it was bad. And I, I knew that in my mind that there's a difference between racism and being a racist uh, and making racial stereotypical jokes, which I find funny because there's a little bit of truth to some stereotypes. It's not to say, okay, now generalize everyone this way, but there are some stereotypes that are kind of funny, like, okay, black people are really athletic and you can make some jokes about that or I always, ha I always have my wife figure up the bill at the restaurant because she's better at math. <laughs> so there you go. Like there is, I mean, I did really fucking love math like throughout and I kind of noticed some stereotypes I fall in and it's just funny. It's just refreshing and not all the stereotypes apply, but the ones that did, is just funny, but it doesn't mean that person making it is a racist in particular racism is specifically the mindset that you think someone is inferior to you solely because of their race like you don't even know them you're just like oh you're you're asian or oh, you're korean you're black or whatever um that's what racism is or on the other hand you just think a race is just superior like oh uh ashkenazi jews have high iqs so they're we should worship them they're high IQ. like that's actual racism you know um but just making jokes and that's what that new york times uh, video um, that i made a, a rebuttal to was all about like they mixed in some that really did seem like that person was racist but they had others where okay they talked about like a uber driver who's just like um oh your english is really good like just making a, a compliment and, and just because the person's asian the they're just assuming that they're not native here and maybe or for that person maybe they just haven't met any asians that had a like me right. <laughs> american accent right. um it's just like a compliment and probably for that guy he was more just curious and in wonder based on his own personal experience so i thought it was so silly and it was so annoying that they would say that was racist yeah. um so th that's why i did that rebuttal because it just triggered me yeah. <laughs> and well, bothered so, me that they used it wrong. <laughs> somebody being sort of culturally clueless can be kind of weird. And I've experienced it. Uh, I've seen my wife experience it here in Ohio. Like mm. uh, one of the first, uh, uh, very soon after she moved here, I was walking down the street and there was a, a kid across the street. And the kid's mm -hmm. like, kid. Mommy, we have a Japanese person in the neighborhood. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, yeah. So, oh, that's okay. Have you seen that? Okay, you know, Dave Chappelle, have you seen that stand up where he's talking about uh Asians and he's like, he's like white blacks fighting each other, and he's like, and Mexicans fighting each other, but Asians, y'all just lay in the cut, right? <laughs> I love that because it's and, so funny, and that's an example of a racial stereotype, right? He's making a stereotype that Asians are chill and they don't fight with other races, but they do fight amongst. Uh, Asian races yeah. and then I love his joke about like <laughs> calling a Chinese person Korean or or vice versa right. that's so funny and it's funny to me because it kind of resonates with me because I have felt a little offended when someone <laughs> says I'm Korean yeah. or something but it's one of the one of the sweetest nicest guys I ever knew was a music pastor at my church a while ago 
and again, just very mild mannered and whatever. And he was a uh, Puerto Rican and oh. someone incorrectly said that he was Mexican and he, oh, he, he, he just, he lost, like he, he lost it. So <laughs> I think, <laughs> yeah. Or like if you called some uh, German white guy, Hey, you're Irish, aren't you? Yeah. Like you'd probably be like, no, I'm German. <laughs> yeah. Right. So, um, yeah. so what are there? Uh, there's a, a couple of other, there's one real way um, that I don't, I, I wanted to get into a few things that um, uh, people like me before I met my wife didn't know about Asian Americans. And one of them I had never really thought of it was that uh, admissions into higher education. Tell us about that. Oh yeah. I actually faced that myself. Uh, so this weird thing of, well, basically if the college specifically is focused on like GPA SAT. It's just um, a lot of Asian Americans, uh, you know, had higher GPAs or higher SAT scores, partially because there's a stereotype and part of Asian culture is to be very um, uh, like submissive, uh, follow orders, uh, respect your elders. So that translates to respect authority. Um, so, in the public school system, you can excel with that kind of mindset. And I did because I was like, oh, yeah, let me follow orders. And also it kind of felt good to get good grades and straight A's. And a lot <laughs> yeah. a lot of Asian families, um, in my wife's family included, that mm -hmm. they place a very, very high value on performing yeah. well in, in school yeah. and getting into a good school. Right, for sure. Um, so, yeah, and I, I had faced it's kind of like uh, where – because you're Asian, uh, they don't want to have too many Asians. So if you, even though you have like, you know, higher GPA or SAT score or whatever than somebody else, uh, because you're Asian, you may be excluded or um, not chosen versus somebody else. Maybe, I don't know, someone who's Mexican or white or something um, who has a poorer GPA or SAT score. Um, so in that case, they're just kind of focused on your race and not really you as a person and, uh, you know, your passion for college and, and wanting to complete it. <laughs> yeah. It's really weird where they get into these diversity and intersectionality games and stuff like that. Oh, that I hate the diversity quotas. It's yeah. So it's it's well, totally not about the individual or their passion. It's like, okay, just cause you're back to kid, let's, or just cause you're white and, statistically blah 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 Asians you know are more represented let's choose you but it, it's okay though I, I still want people to have that right but yeah. uh, you know we're, we're talking about like the state who will give you subsidies your taxpayer money uh, to people for diversity quotas and that's the problem I have um, have no problem of course with individual college owners making that choice right. to discriminate so or not to, and or, and or not if to. they want to, and um, yeah. it, it would be. I don't, I don't know if we'll ever get back to that where uh, yeah. uh, people are allowed to associate freely uh, on things. Um, Definitely I, a big, a lot of strides, I would say. I think the internet has helped a lot, help people to see, uh, you know, with with the ability to share information all yeah. around the world and have access to this knowledge base. Uh, there's like less of an argument of needing to go to an authority figure to deliver you 
some yeah. information. And now with the coronavirus stuff, a lot of schools like Harvard, I yeah. think, is only online this mm-hmm. semester and they're still charging right. full tuition. So oh, I think, really? oh, oh yeah, yeah. So I think people oh, really because you don't get the building. <laughs> yeah, I think people are. Uh, I, I I would assume that if you don't go live on campus, you don't pay the residency fee, but mm-hmm. you still pay the full tuition. And I think a lot of people are saying, hey, what am I paying for again here? And some some people who go to places like that, it's it's a very exclusive club yeah. that serves them well for the rest of their lives. But for a lot of people, college is uh, uh, not um, the wisest choice. So, <laughs> yeah, uh, for me, I, I dropped out more so just because of the cost. And also, I just really didn't like being told what to do. I, I hated programming something to the exact specifications without any creativity input <laughs> and like literally like the teacher's like okay build two classes and name the class exactly this like you know i was just tired of it so i was like nah i want to get paid to program like i actually want to get paid to learn how to program yep. and, and be a programmer so that, that for me that's why i didn't like college because i didn't like being told what to do and then yeah. uh, have nothing to show for it <laughs> like yeah. build that app but there's nothing to show for it uh, except right. for the debt. <laughs> so. um, as someone who doesn't like being told what to do, um, <laughs> you know, you mentioned earlier yeah, that like the, a- <laughs> yeah, the, the Asian uh, culture thing. Uh, and my wife is not political at all. And that's one of the reasons <laughs> I love her. Um, <laughs> and, and she's, she's right on, you know, she's good on most things that we talk about, but sometimes we, there's a little tension Um, because I think she still has that, and I'm not saying it's bad. I'm, you know, um, Mm -hmm. that deference to authority and, and tradition and stuff like that. Do you, is that, um, does that go away after a couple of generations, uh, or, um, and not that it, not that I'm saying it has to, but, uh, uh, Hmm. what's, what's your observation on that? Uh, well, yeah, we kind of touched on this a little bit, how I th- I do see that in um, at least the Asian cultures I was part of, Chinese and Vietnamese. Uh, well, Chinese specifically, there's a huge emphasis on like uh, pride, status, um, scholarship, things like that. Um, I think it just depends. I don't, I, I don't think I could say that it goes away like prescript. I can't prescribed that it just goes away it just depends on where that generation is growing up in uh, yeah. certainly if it's a generation like i did you know first Im- uh, first generation in america uh, but going to government public schools there's a huge focus on obeying authorities so you know if you're going to public school it's not going to go away <laughs> um, yeah. so it, it really takes like people adults uh, waking up and uh deciding, okay, I'm not going to put my children in a government school where the whole focus is to uh, make my child obedient to the state and and blindly follow authority um, and uh, defer their own thoughts and opinions to someone else. Like, oh, I need to like look up what scientists said about this and not ever learn how to uh, have your own experiment. Uh, what, you know, how to observe your own evidence and, and what that means. You know, there's there's a reason they don't teach philosophy in public school. They don't they don't focus on critical thinking about the world. They they would probably like expel you if you said taxation is theft. 
<laughs> you yeah. know. Um, and there actually there have been students who've said that. And or at least, like, oh. or at least they'd send you to the school counselor, right? To, yeah, for an evaluation. Or whatever. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> um. Here, one more sort of uh, Asian uh, question. Do you, <laughs> one thing I didn't know uh, about uh, being Asian in America. Was I gotta say, I can't speak for all Asians. No, Most I know you Chinese can. And then like a little Viet. <laughs> so, so you may, you may, I'd be interested to hear if you, this has been your experience too. Yeah. When we go into a Chinese restaurant, they see my wife and they automatically give us the secret Chinese menu. <laughs> And I never knew that that existed. So like most Chinese food that we eat is not what Chinese people eat. And so it's the, the stuff that's a little uh, earthier and uh, uh, less sweet, um, which I really love. And um, it, it's, it's always funny. The uh, uh, one time I, I, I ordered, uh, we were at a Szechuan place and I ordered it like super hot because I like it. And I think it was actually, it was like tripe or intestine or something. Yeah. Right. That's not usually on the menu. <laughs> right. So that was on the secret menu. And when I ordered it, the waitress took my order down, then looked at my wife and said in Chinese, does he know what he's ordering? So, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, that's funny. <laughs> do you, uh, what, what are some other Asian foods that you like oh, that people uh, should try? Yeah. Oh, if you can find it. It's rare. So like, the same, you, you know, you're talking about Chinese restaurants, the same similar thing at Vietnamese restaurants. Um, like there's some places that will have the pho and goiku really authentic and the, the common dishes that Americans know of, like the rice dishes with meats and stuff. Uh, but there's this one noodle soup. It's made with crab meat and oh. tomatoes. It's so good. It's, uh, it's called, uh, bong, bong, bong ryu. Okay. <laughs> okay. It's not three bongs. I was just stuttering. Right. It was called Bong Rear, like B O B U N B O N, something like that. Maybe right. with a U with the weird thing above. And then like R I E U. But it's just so good. It's made with these vermicelli noodles and yep. you have crab and seafood. And uh, I've, it's, it's rare to find even at a Vietnamese restaurant. I'll ask for it. Um, sometimes they have it and it's not on the menu. Right. So that's a thing. Um, but yeah. So I recommend that. <laughs> um, also, one final thing I, I noticed on your Patreon page, you have a uh, a level that has to do with mm. boba. So okay, <laughs> I, people are more and more finding out about boba. And when I was in Taiwan, which is where it was invented, uh, there's literally you a know, boba. I didn't know that. It That's was. Cool. It was, a, it was Taipei, that. like in the 80s, I think. Somebody... Oh. Um, they've got a lot of weird balls. That's awesome. They've got a lot of weird, wonderful desserts and, uh, but like there's a tea yeah. shop, hmm. um, you know, it's bubble tea, uh, mm -hmm. or, um, they have fruit teas and stuff on e like literally on every street. And I think I had at least two, like I'd have a fruit tea in the morning and a, and a oh, boba in the afternoon. So what I got to go to Taiwan. Well, and that, and now you got to tell people what boba is, though, for those who don't know. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, try boba. That's a thing. You should. And that is more normalized for sure. Uh, boba is like these chewy black balls, and um, you got to make it just right, the right chew. And uh, if you have bad boba, it's not very good. Cause, it, it's yeah. tapioca. It's little. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> See, yeah. you're an expert. You know, yeah. so I just eat the chewy balls, you know. I just yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> okay, no pun intended. But uh, yeah, so that's what they are, and uh, goes in tea, and I like it with uh, just the traditional milk tea, and yep. have it a little hot. So good. Yeah, it, <laughs> it is good stuff. Um, let's talk about. Uh, I wish Jonathan. we could get food after this interview. Like, let's just go get some food. <laughs> yeah, well, one day we'll have to do that if we ever end up in the same place at the same time. We'll have to find a good Asian restaurant. I'll tell Mike to make it happen. Yeah, well, I mean, if um, if we're ever allowed to travel and stuff again, I, I guess we still are now. I went to Florida for the convention, but um, I was gonna go. Uh, I like I ended up not going, but I I was gonna go. I had my hotel booked, but they canceled at that first one. Yep. I just decided, ah, uh, okay. With all the shutdowns, I'll just hold on to my money for now. Well, maybe maybe next time. And we're actually, yeah. I, I'm not going to give any details, but we're thinking about possibly having a Mises caucus event um, sometime this year. Um, yeah. <laughs> so we'll see. Um, so tell me where that is, if it happens, we will keep you in the loop um, <laughs> to, I want to get your comments on two things real quick. Um, let's do guns first. We talked on it just a little bit. What is it that you like about guns? Mm-hmm. And um, it, it, is it, I mean, it seems to be a real, uh, a big hobby of yours now, right? Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. definitely. Uh, I started, um, well, I haven't done any, uh, competitions yet, but I took the, uh, USP USPSA like introduction. So I got to play a few different rounds of like mock competitions. Okay. Um, it's just really fun to like try to coordinate on your feet. It's, it's a skill. It's a skill of accuracy. It's a skill of body movement and, um, you know, endurance, uh, things like that. So for me, I like firearms. Well, cause I'm really weak. I like I, I, most people have beat me at arm wrestling, like my whole life, uh, fellow girls, students. Like <laughs> I just, I don't know. I just like to arm wrestle cause it's kind of fun. Uh, but then I'd always lose. <laughs> so there was that. Um, and, uh, one of the things I did before, you know, I met Jack and he taught me how to use my first firearm um i tried krav maga and uh, i did krav maga for like a year uh, and i'd go once a week um and like you do different sparring and they're you know people of all sizes one guy was like huge but he was very gentle you know everyone's like gentle with me um but i just noticed like okay there's no way i'm gonna like reasonably employ krav maga and take down a 300 pound dude like there's no way if or, or even a, a, a 150 pound dude. I'm, right. you know, I'm like a hundred pounds. Like I'm really right. small. Like if some dude got on top of me, I'm, I'm done. Or even a girl, you know, 150 pound girl, I'm done, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So I'm like, if I really want to truly defend myself, I need something to make up for how weak I am. And that's why I love fire, firearms first and foremost. Uh, well, first and foremost is really what happened to my family and why they had to flee so much from different governments. Like, I just feel so sad that they had to like uplift so many times, just their homes, their, their everything, their friends, uh, and just leave. Um, so for me, I want to like be able to put my stake in the ground and be like, no, come and take it. I'm, I'm staying here. This is where I, I die and where I fight for Liberty. Um, so that's the first reason. But secondly, it's also practically, I'm very weak. <laughs> so guns help make up for that for my like you know i try to work out but there's right. only so much i can right. do um so much i can bench <laughs> what what's your uh favorite gun right now 
Oh, that's so hard. Okay, so handguns. Uh, I really love my Walter um, uh, PPQ Q5 match. Um, I have the polymer frame, but I'm really trying to get the steel frame <laughs> that has a ex uh, expanded uh, magwell so I can just stick things easy and more focus for competition. It's like so accurate. I love that thing. Um, in terms of rifles, the uh, uh, the uh, FN PS90, the, the civilian version with the longer barrel, unfortunately, um, is the one I, I really like in terms of rifles. Um, and, you know, I, I love AR-15s. I don't know. It's so hard to choose. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I uh, like that the E9, too. It's a it 9-millimeter uh, pistol rifle, that carbine that uh, takes Glock mags. <laughs> I'm, I'm the same way with guitars. People ask me what my favorite is. And I do have one favorite is my Stratocaster. But all oh. the other ones, uh, my my second <laughs> position rotates all the time is according to what what I've been playing recently or oh. what I, what I see somebody playing. Um, have you gotten a guns, Aaron? Or like um, I, I grew up, um, mm. my, my family, both sides of my family are from Eastern Kentucky and East Tennessee. Um, so oh, guns yeah, were culture. Yeah. Yeah. The Appalachians are, mm. are very, yeah. Uh, and Appalachian my mountain boys. <laughs> yeah. My my parents weren't. Uh, I don't even think we had a gun in the house as a kid, um, but my both of my grandparents did, and uh, I, I learned a little bit uh, from them. And I, I never got yeah. super into it. Um, I at one time I lived in Chicago, and one time in D.C. And I was I I I feel totally different about it now, but I I concealed carried in those places illegally. Um, uh, and so, uh, but then I kind of got, know a, you didn't. yeah, well, I think that if, if they can get me 15 years later, then yeah, whatever. <laughs> true, true, um, true. <laughs> um, so yeah, I never, uh, and I have a couple of friends who, um, uh, I have a, my close friend is a former green beret and, you know, he, he has a lot of guns and his friends have a lot of guns, but, uh, uh, I'm not into it that much, but I'm, but I'm very, it's one of my most important issues politically um, uh, yeah, is defending that. So let's, where do you think uh, the gun issue is going politically right now? There's a huge fight uh, over it for sure. I think it's, it's leaning towards firearms uh, freedom though, for sure. Um, there's been a lot of pushback against the people advocating for gun control uh, a lot of them, you know, especially right now, when you have uh, some places there being riots, looting, businesses being burned down, car people's uh, cars being burned. Um, uh, a lot of people, I mean, gun sales, ammo sales have shot up, you know, a, yep. a range, the ranges we go to and the gun stores we go to tell us that. Um, and we see how their inventory gets like wiped out. Yep. A lot of people are like, oh, shit. <laughs> you know, so it's a it's a good time for the firearms community to continue pushing for uh, firearm safety. Um, you know, uh, continuing to remind people of the fundamentals, and you see that a lot. Like I love it. There, are, you know, people in comments saying, "Hey, keep your finger off the trigger. Hey, yeah. don't point your gun. I get that you unloaded it, but just treat it like it's loaded. Like don't just yeah. don't like you know swipe your mom. Like what are you doing? <laughs> you know." Right. So I think actually it's uh, leaning towards firearms liberty. 
uh, just right now because everyone's seeing all this property destruction and they're also seeing how a lot of cops just stand down and aren't even defending these freaking businesses. They impose the curfews, but, and then they'll like uh, pepper spray peaceful protesters, but they're like nowhere to be seen where there's like tons of riots yeah. and looting. Uh, Spike Cohen says it's planned. Uh, I need to look more to that, that and, plan. But, um, and yeah. they, they have no duty to protect you or your property, yeah. even if they're standing right, right there. Um, that was ruled in some, federal court right i think like, it's been a couple of supreme court cases um that right that, cops don't have a duty to protect unlike right. i was brought up to believe i thought that's the point of police that's right. what i thought defenders but uh really now a lot of them are just like road pirates yeah <laughs> so um one uh, one kind of last question i think uh um uh but it's kind of a uh, we could go a lot of places with it. You've done, uh, mm -hmm. you recently did a video on the, I think about fear uh, about the coronavirus stuff and what the media says about things. Um, uh, talking about, you know, if you, if you don't fear driving a car, why are you afraid of COVID and, and all that? Mm -hmm. uh, what, what's your take on all this COVID stuff? I, Cause I, I get more pessimistic by the day as far as what it's doing to Liberty. Yeah. It's um, it's pretty crazy because you had most pretty much almost all governments around the world act like a one world government. They had very like similar policies, lock things down, shut down a business, don't let them open, uh, and say everyone needs to like keep six feet away. Uh, some places are more draconian, like in the UK, um, you know, not allowing couples to kiss in their own home, like cops looking in your window and be like, hey, you can't kiss like your home. Like it's crazy. Um, so it's been a it's been definitely used as an excuse to um, imprison a lot of people. And in China, like in the beginning, like in Wuhan, you saw people being stolen out of their homes, just taken yeah. and put in some like metal box, like holy crap. Or uh have their homes like soldered, you know, around. Um, so they're just sealed in and they're locked in like that's crazy to me. It just gave them an excuse for genocide and who knows how many people were actually murdered who didn't have COVID, but the Chinese government just said, Oh, there's COVID. So we got to lock you up. You know, you can't be out. And um, yeah, it's, it's pretty nuts. It's been uh, used to by a lot of, tyrants, politicians, people in government with power uh, to enforce a lot of draconian measures. So uh, in the States, you know, gosh, you have at least this thing about you don't really have this focus on individual rights in the Constitution. I mean, you, you kind of do, but I wish they would really focus on audience, body and property rights. Like, that would be great. They could just enshrine that. But one of the other things that they focus on is states' rights. You know, they have this dichotomy of like between governments of like, oh, if you're a state government, you're not a federal government, or you should have more rights. You know, it's just, you know, at least there's that. So you have different, um, uh, different states reacting at least differently, and then you get, you know, people being able to talk about it and see how, uh, you know death counts aren't like rising like crazy you know and actually they started at first counting deaths but as it started to go down they switched to counting cases and i noticed this um even at my job i noticed that mindset shift of some of my coworkers. They're like oh my god you hear like 
people are dying. And I'm like, okay. I was like, but you know, your chances of, you know, I'm like, for me, I'm like, I'm very young. Like I don't have, uh, you know, my immune system is strong. I'm not, I personally am not worried. And yeah. for someone who has a weak immune system, those people traditionally stayed inside always. Like you have AIDS, you go to the hospital in as much of a sterile environment and you like avoid other people. Like that is the point. So it's so crazy how they've gotten a lot of people to like flip that, that uh, mindset and flip, flip that narrative in their minds of like now suddenly um, if you're strong and healthy, you should stay inside. Right. You know, so, uh, but yeah, I did notice some coworkers first, they're focused on deaths and then they'd say, oh, but did you know cases are going up, yeah. you know? So it's, it's a lot of uh, fear propaganda. If you look at the news, like they mention it every day, like COVID, COVID, COVID. Oh, this one state, they opened and look at all those people on the beach. Ew. And just making people so irrationally afraid of what literally has been humanity for like forever <laughs> you know yeah. and uh making what used to be normal uh seem like you're a bad person yeah. you know like uh they, like covering uh trump's uh speech um some news outlet they're like look at how close those chairs are right. it's insane because it's right. just like look eventually you're gonna walk where i walked and breathe the air that i did you're outside you're breathing everyone's air and also, if you just have a mask, it's escaping out your sides. First yeah. of all, if you're not using the good ones with a good seal and you put it on properly. Yeah. And also, your hands are still dirty. <laughs> like, and your feet are still picking up germs. So, like, it's getting nuts. But and, you can even see some governments starting to be like, you know, wear a bubble. Have a yeah. bubble around you. It's, it's crazy. <laughs> I, I think it's particularly maddening for we libertarians, uh, for us libertarians. Um, <laughs> because we're one of the things we're obsessed with is, you know, consistency and logic and, and all this and seeing, like you said, the, the okay, we're flattening the curve now. Oh, now we're going to uh, do this until we get a vaccine. It's Cause it's like, you don't need to intervene. It's just like hospitals know like that individual owner wants, has a, a profit motive to have more beds. He may yeah. like take out a loan and be like, shoot, I need to keep up but you're not, they imposed it. So they don't give anyone a chance to actually respond to right. the market. So. And a lot of hospitals, um, I think have, uh, this has been a very tough time for them, not because of, uh, mm -hmm. uh of being overwhelmed with COVID people, yeah, but because yeah. the other like knee, re knee replacements and, and, uh, plastic surgery and, uh, um, you know, stuff like that is not taking place or not at the same rate. And so they're losing a lot of, uh, uh, revenue that way. Mm -hmm. And plus the, the, the toll that if you have a bad knee and you need a knee replacement and you can't get one because of COVID, that's, that's, right. that's a toll. Non -essential. So, yeah. 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 Well, we could uh, go on a lot. I can, I could complain about the Corona hysteria <laughs> forever. Right. Um, but For me, uh, it's just, it's always up. And as libertarians, one of the, another thing is we just value individual choice we right. just like hate these mask mandates, not because we're here debating and saying masks are ineffective, totally ineffective. No, it just, it's specifically you're overriding someone's individual choice to yep. choose. And so. that's, that's what may has made me the most depressed about all this is uh, mm -hmm. I thought uh, 
you know, I grew up, you know, I remember the late seventies and early eighties. So like, mm-hmm. I remember a, a much different pre nine 11 America. Oh. And I thought that there was a bigger contingent of people who, you know, the, the old question, you know, Liberty or security. I thought many, many more people than than have proven through the coronavirus would have picked liberty, but it's it's very, very uh, uh, it's kind of scary. So, yeah, definitely. Are you noticing that a lot in your town? Like, how is it around you uh, in terms of people's fear, or have you seen like people not wearing masks? And well, in a I'm in in Dayton, Ohio, and. uh, it's mandatory uh, in if you're in public indoors uh, across the state to wear a mask. And a couple of times wow. I haven't done it, but mostly I, I just do it just because I don't, I don't want an argument and hassled. stuff. And right. most people won't hassle me anyway because of how big I am. Uh, <laughs> but uh, uh, mm-hmm. I, I just, I, I, I go along with it. Um but uh, I, my my wife and I took my parents to dinner last night for my dad's birthday, mm-hmm. and uh, this uh, it's a it's kind of a really good sort of um, you know new American restaurant, and it's uh, run by the people who own it are very liberal. I had known this before, um, but they they had I think five different signs, like four signs on the door and like a, those, like like those chalkboard easels. They had one of those that all had a different thing of you must wear the mask until you get your, you know, and they table. Yeah. And so some people are, uh, I I'm seeing table, you take it off. Yeah. Right. I, I, it doesn't make any, uh, yeah. So many coming to you, you don't have your mask on, but she's fine. When yeah. you sit, but if you're if you stood up, she'd be, oh my yeah, <laughs> it's so nuts. Right. If I if I'm not if I'm sitting at a table where food is going to be brought to me, it's safe. But if it's I'm just sitting here in theater, it's like going to the TSA and just yeah. being all felt up and molested is like, oh, but I'm safe. Yeah, I'm like I, keeps the terrorists away. Yeah, I've got a, keeps COVID away. <laughs> I've got a great TSA story that is take will take too long to tell, but um, it. <laughs> Uh, I, I almost, I, I came very, very close to intervening on this person's behalf. And if I did, I know I would have been arrested, but, uh, it, it's amazing what people will put up with because they're told, yeah. uh, it's, it's for safety. And, and right. it all goes back to what you said that every person should be able to decide how to manage his own risk and, yeah. and decide what goes on on his property. And uh, if you don't like it, don't go there. So anyway. Exactly. (laughs) Well, this was a great uh, conversation, Aaron. (laughs) Yeah, it was. It's nice to meet you. Let me give you a chance to to plug your sites and what you're working on and uh, what what to look for from you in the near future. All right. Um, Well, you can just uh, go to uh, my website which is uh, thephilosopher.com. So just one word. Yeah, just how it's spelled with how I spell with the O. And um, yeah, you can see links to all the social media sites that I'm on. Facebook, uh, YouTube, Float, Minds, Twitter, Instagram. Uh, yeah, and just check me out there. Um, 
And uh, in terms of what I'm working on, uh, be on the lookout. We will be uh, releasing the last two films for Red Flag Reality. We released one of them already uh, where I did the presentation on the dangers of red flag laws. But we'll be releasing two more that were uh, created by our cinematographer, David West. Uh, He's very talented and very principled. Uh, He's a great guy. And I'm really excited to share those videos with the world and and, uh, see how it does. So be on the lookout for that. (laughs) <laughs> All right, we will be. I'll uh, I'll have the links and everything. And uh, uh, I really appreciate your time and uh, for what you did for the Mises Caucus last week. And uh, hopefully, we'll we'll get to have a bowl of pho sometime uh, in the yeah. next year or two. Maybe I can teach your wife how to shoot. <laughs> right, uh, I can tell you with absolute certainty that you will not because she is even with a 22 i have a 22 lr browning buckmark so nice (laughs) she is uh totally freaked out by guns Uh, and i I don't yeah i don't think has ever you know i don't think she's ever even touched one i have one in the house and she doesn't want to see it and all that stuff. So anyway, uh, it's, it's fine. It's not a point of contention with us, but if you tried, she would, she would shoot you down. So, but well, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Figuratively speaking. So, right, right, right. well, I, I really uh, appreciate your time and enjoy your work and uh, we'll see you down Thanks, the road Adam. sometime. All right. all right. Thank you. All, all right. right. See you later. Bye. Bye. <laughs> There you have it. I'd like to thank the philosopher for her time and for representing our ideas really well and for her help with the Mises Pack Money Bomb. I'll put some links related to our conversation on the show notes page at decentralizedrevolution.com slash 33. Those are the numbers 3-3. I'd also like to thank Dave versus Goliath for all the music you hear on Decentralized Revolution. And I'd like to thank everyone who gives to Mises Pack at TakeHumanAction.com and everyone who shares, rates, reviews, and subscribes to Decentralized Revolution. The next episode may be a little longer than usual coming out uh, as my wife and I were leaving town to visit some of her side of the family over the Labor Day weekend. But we'll be back soon with some more great guests. So thanks for listening and we'll see you next time.